It was five years ago, downtown Minneapolis, and they're making a new skyscraper. It was January. And as all of us know, tough time to work construction, Minnesota, outside January. It's 20 degrees below zero, and these steel workers are working up there about the 20th floor, back and forth they're walking on these steel girders. As they're walking back and forth, 20 stories up, 20 below zero, being watched by secretaries across the street. They decide to send the workers a message. Got a piece of paper, magic marker, wrote out their sign, held it up. The sign said, in here, it's 75 degrees. Well, the workers decide to send the secretaries a message. They got a piece of cardboard, piece of chalk, wrote out their sign, held it up. Said, out here, it's $60 an hour. <laughs> they certainly had attitude. I'm not sure it was Christ-like, but they had attitude. And I think the Bible talks a great deal about attitude. I want to suggest two things today. What does it mean to have a Christ-like attitude? And secondly, how you get one and keep one. In terms of how important it is, perhaps the leading theologian for the last many, many years talked about that. You might have seen his quotation, Dr. Charles Swindoll. He puts it this way. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than successes. What other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we'll embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one thing we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I believe that's a true statement. Most folks don't know it's a true statement. Biggest gripe I hear across the country. People say, well, I can't help the way I am, can't help the way I feel. That's just the way I was raised. Totally false. You can change the way you feel. You can take control of the attitude if you just know how. I want to suggest this. A modern-day term is called positive attitude, coined by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. The Bible calls it enthusiasm, really the same thing. The Bible uses the word entheos, a Greek term for God living within us. And that enthusiasm, that attitude, the so-called Christ-like attitude, the good news is we can learn to have that quality in our lives. As it says in Philippians, I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. So how do we learn to have that kind of attitude? One of the key principles I call the act as if. Dr. William James talked about it, the father of so-called American psychology. He said the greatest discovery of the 20th century is the fact 
You can have any quality you want in your personality if you just act as if you have it. For example, want to be more patient. Can't go around saying things like, I'm not patient, got a temper, dad had a temper, mom had a temper, runs in the family, just raised that way. So that's a cop-out. If you want to be patient, you force yourself to act patiently, even if your guts are churning inside. Eventually feel patient and be patient. Same is true for enthusiasm, positive attitude. Want to be more enthusiastic? You can't wait until the problems of life are all gone. That will never happen. Having no problems, that's known as dead. <laughs> well, problems every single day. And I think even though Dr. James said it at Harvard, the Bible knew it 2,000 years before that. It says, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. And here's the key thing about that verse. People miss the sequence. It says, first I rejoice. First I have the right attitude. First I'm happy. First I'm glad. Then I'll be happy. People do it just the opposite. I'll be happy if, I'll be happy when. You need to be an actor, not a reactor. How many have been to New York City? You perhaps have seen this. They have these wooden shacks on street corners where they sell newspapers. Know what I'm talking about? Little kiosks. A guy called Sidney Harris, newspaper columnist, went to downtown New York to visit a friend. He started to always walk to the street corner, buy the paper, go back home and read it. This one day, Sidney walked with his friend. As they're approaching the salesman, because see a man selling papers was negative, grouchy, yelling at people, not enthusiastic. But his friend nicely said, good morning, Charlie, how are you doing? Good to see you. Salesman said, eh, not even words, just a spitting sound. (laughs) Friend said, oh, I see. He gave the man the money for the paper, got the change back. Said, thanks a lot, Charlie, always get good service, Uh, appreciate that. Again, the guy said, eh, They walked about two blocks. Sidney turned to his friend, and he watched him as he turned around, and the friend said to the salesman, have a good day, Charlie. Keep smiling. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. And again, the guy said, eh, When they walked about two blocks, Sidney turned to his friend and said, I don't understand what happened back there. Can I ask you some questions? Friend said, sure. So does that salesman always act so negatively? He said, yeah, every day. He said, you always treat him that nicely? He said, yes, of course. It was about the third most crucial question, which was what? Why? Why do you treat him that nicely when that's the way he treats you all the time? This marvelous answer comes back. He said, I don't want him to decide how I'm going to behave. So I'm an actor, not a reactor. I think there's tremendous wisdom in that comment. Anybody can become negative just because somebody else is a jerk. We can all come down to their level. But the real, mature, Christ-like attitude is being able to bring people up to his, our level of enthusiasm that we're actors, not reactors. I think the reason so many families have so many problems 
so many companies, organizations, is they are what I would call the reactors, who react to things like a day of the week. Oh, it's Monday. Oh, it's Friday. Right to the weather outside, it's cold, it's hot, it's raining, it's snowing, it's slippery. Right to the husband, the wife, the kid, the co-worker, react, react, which is a lousy way to live. Some folks are so reactive they make no decisions in life. Like a pool ball being knocked over here, bounced over there. And people say to me, well, yeah, Alan, nice in theory, go around acting enthusiastically. But what if you're uh, underpaid in your job? underappreciated? What if your boss hasn't got a clue? What if your husband or wife is a nag? Your kids don't listen to you. What if you have all those negative things in your life? How do you keep that so-called actor Christ-like attitude? And I would suggest it comes in this phrase, do not catch the other person's disease. Don't catch your disease. What I mean by that? If I were still a professor in my classroom and my students were saying, oh, this is a dumb class. Do we have to come every day? Do you take attendance? Will that be on the test? Do we have to take notes? But my favorite was, if I'm gone the next three days, will I miss anything? <laughs> Honest to God, they'd ask you that question. <laughs> I want to say, no, I plan on wasting your time. All those comments reflect a disease, a negative attitude towards learning. If I were to catch their disease, I'd lose all my power to motivate them. If you've got a husband or a wife, a boyfriend or girlfriend who gets crabby at you, and you catch their crabbiness, get crabby back at them, you've got a fight on your hands if you're not careful, right? Do not catch their disease. And if you can keep that Christ-like attitude long enough, you'll pull almost everybody over to your side. Dr. David Reisman, a psychiatrist, writes a book called The Lonely, Lonely Crowd. Says in his research in America, 85% test out as reactors. They don't think, they just react. So if you'll choose to be an actor, that 15%, and it's a choice, most will follow along. I used to try out his theory at the university. I'd walk around the hallways in the morning greeting people. I might say, good morning, how are you doing? Have a good day, hope your class goes well, take care. And most everybody would say, well, good morning, Alan. How are you doing? See you around, take care, have a good day. But I can think of two professors who in years of me saying good morning, never once said anything back, walked right by in the hallway. Do you ever meet people like that? You greet them, they kind of walk by like, just kind of grunting down the hallway. I thought to myself, forget it. How many years have to be positive to get some response out of those people? Then I said, just a minute, Alan, you're, you're an actor, not a reactor. I don't know what problems those professors have. Maybe they're constipated every morning. <laughs> just want to act like them. To be an actor, not a reactor. And as the Bible says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Paul had learned to be an actor, not a reactor. It's the importance of attitude. We can learn it. What are some skills that can transform us into a Christ-like attitude we can keep and live with? 
me suggest a few things today. Number one is saying something positive to the people you meet. As we're told in 2 Corinthians, greet each other in Christian love. Saying something positive. You may not know the name Lois Wendell, but a lot of you know her boss. She's the secretary to Robert Schuller, this big-name minister on TV for many years. Whether you follow him or like him or not is irrelevant. But a few years ago, came back from the doctor, found out she had cancer, one of the worst types, not expected to live much longer. She called up Bob and said, will you come over and talk to me? He said, sure, be right over. And thought to himself, what do you say? Here's your good friend, Lois, been colleagues for years. You care a lot about her. She's dying. You're on TV talking about being positive, Christ-like in attitude. Well, how do you go in there and say something positive when she's dying? He went in. He said a few things. A few years after that discussion, she said, you know, when you came through the door that day, you turned my feelings from fear into enthusiasm that I could make it. He said, I don't know what I said. Please remind me. She said, basically, you sat down and prayed. Interesting thing here is the choice of words. He said, dear God, we're so thankful today. I thought to myself, how do you start a prayer like that? Here's your good friend, your colleague, she's dying, and you say, God, we're thankful? Easy to say, hey, God, worked in the church for a long time, trying to help people out. Now she's getting cancer. Thanks a lot, buddy. And some folks get very angry and things don't go their way. They said, no, we're thankful today. But I'm to say we're thankful we live in a day and age when great advances are being made in the treatment of cancer. We're thankful we live in a country of the finest and best medical help is available. We're thankful for this vast number of friends who love and support Lois. But most of all, we're thankful for this beautiful gift of faith that Lois has. She doesn't know who, what holds what the future holds, but she knows who holds the future. In essence, that was it. I thought if you can be positive at a tough time like that, shouldn't be much excuse not to say something positive to most people we meet. As you are being positive in your greetings, as it says greeting Christian love, you're being an actor, not a reactor. And it doesn't matter if you feel like it. When you least feel like being positive, most need to do it. First you act, then you behave, feel, and others rub off that way. And so the first thing to say something positive. Second thing suggests this, and that is to see something positive in every situation. See something positive. As it says in Romans, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Say something positive. I don't believe that life is totally good or bad, black or white. Any situation, even a rotten situation, always, always, always has something good in it. If you can see the positive, you maintain the attitude. For example, 30 years ago when Jimmy Carter was president, we had this thing called the Iran hostage crisis. Remember that? For those who are too young, 30 years ago, we had 400, or I should say a couple dozen Americans locked up for 441 days. And the highest ranking official was Colonel Chuck Scott. He thought he was CIA, which he wasn't. 
But one of the other hostages was a stool pigeon and said, Chuck is the spy, knows everything, so he fingered Chuck to save his own skin. As a result, gave him more torture than anybody else. When they released the hostages, I spent two days with Chuck Scott. He's a friend of mine. Lives Atlanta, Georgia these days. We talked about the interrogation techniques, the torture techniques. What caught my attention, he said, Alan, that was the best experience of my lifetime. I said, what? He said, don't misinterpret me. I'm not a masochist. I don't enjoy pain. I don't want to be tortured again. But I realized, when I got back to American soil, if I could make it through Iran, I could make it through anything. I no longer worry whether you like me or dislike me. There are millions of folks to connect with out there in the world. It doesn't matter if it's hot outside, cold, raining or snowing, how dare I complain about the weather. I'm alive to live it. That's what counts. It doesn't matter if I make a dollar, lose a dollar. If worse came to worst, if I went bankrupt, lost everything I had. I go to McDonald's. They're always hiring. <laughs> I'd get a job and start over. He saw Iran as a test. He passed the test and built a strong, positive attitude. Other Americans who went through Iran are still mad as can be at President Carter, American government, didn't do this, didn't do that. And they messed up the rest of their lifetime. Just to get some new counseling and some new attitudes. Can you see something positive in every situation? Yeah, I, I think of myself. Even though I go on TV about this and write books about this, I, I struggle with this. I get negative. I get down. I don't always have that Christ-like attitude. And when I do, if I just make myself do exactly that, look at my situation, find something positive in it, I can recapture the attitude, the energy that goes with that. See something positive in every situation. Maybe you, you have a job where you have a coworker where you just, oh, that person is so obnoxious, they just get you. Oh, they're so obnoxious, they get you. Can you see the positive in that? person just gets you, might motivate you to go to a bookstore and buy a book called Coping with Difficult People. <laughs> and you practice on them, nothing to lose. <laughs> the book says, here's step one, step two, and the techniques work. But some folks will read the book, just complain for five years, they drive me crazy, when it could be a learning opportunity. If you see the positive, you maintain the attitude. I think of my daughter when she was about seven, eight years of age. We're living in a town called North Mankato, which, of course, most of you know where that is. But if you don't know, I'll give you a brief geography lesson. There's Mankato across the river, North Mankato. Rather creative naming. <laughs> and it used to be years ago, you'd go across the bridge one town to the other, and it would be a railway tracks. Sometimes if you stop by the train for 30 minutes, it'd be a hassle. I picked up from school one day. We're driving out around the car, and out comes some complaints she was making. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got sick of it. I said, Shelly, there's always something good in every situation. I want you to look for the good from now on. Tell me that. I no more had said that, and the train stopped us when I crossed the bridge. She looked at me, and she said, ha, huh, what's so good about that? And I didn't know. 
I learned a long time ago, if you're a teacher, you don't know the answer, you can always say, why don't you think about it for a little while? <laughs> and maybe you can think of the answer. Works pretty well, there's six or seven. She sat down in the car for a minute, she was thinking, jumped up and said, I know what's good about this. I said, what? I could talk to you a little bit longer. I said, you're right, you're right, you got it. <laughs> I went, <"Phew." laughs> Went home and thought about it. Of course, she was right. Had it been a normal afternoon, I would have gone to the house, done some work. She'd have gone outside, played with a friend to see something positive in every situation. If you can see the positive, you maintain that Christ-like attitude. And perhaps the person who said this the best, I, I love the way Paul puts it, but in very contemporary terms, the person that might have said it the best, a hero to all of us in this room, without him, We'd all be speaking German today. Thank God for Winston Churchill. He said it this way. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. The pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. That, by the way, is how every one of your places where you work got started. Someone said years ago, we've got a problem in education. In manufacturing, distribution, retail, healthcare, somebody else said, not a problem, chance for business. If you see the positive, you maintain that Christ-like attitude. The third thing I would suggest is habitually think it just might work. Habitually think it might work. As Luke puts it, he replied, what is impossible from a human perspective is possible with God. It just might work. We know according to those brain researchers, we have something like 50,000 thoughts a day going through our minds, 50,000. Just stands to reason some of those thoughts are innovative, they're creative, God-inspired, they're blockbusters. But let me ask you, what does a negative person tell themselves when they get a new idea? What do they say? Eh, it'll never work. They throw it away. But think about this. You might have had this happen to you. But I thought to yourself, if anybody would just invent such and such a product, oh, that they could become really wealthy. And thought to yourself, ah, that would never work. Threw the idea away. And five years later, somebody in the paper is selling your idea. I think it just might work. I think of Thomas Edison. My wife and I live in Florida most of the time. We're just here for a few weeks in the summer. And our home is not too far from Thomas Edison's original winter laboratory in Fort Myers, Florida. If you know the story, it took him over 10,000 experiments to get a workable electric light bulb, 10,000. After 10,000 experiments, a young reporter came to see him. He said, Mr. Edison, how does it feel to have failed 10,000 times? Edison said, you're very young, aren't you? He said, I have not failed 10,000 times. I've successfully found 10,000 ways not to do it. <laughs> Quite an attitude. As a result, still has the world's record for the most inventions ever. I think it just might work. The fourth thing is overcome obstacles with a why not attitude. Why not? As Revelation puts it, so be enthusiastic and in earnest and burning with zeal and repent. Changing your mind and attitude. In other words, how do you change the mind or attitude when there's obstacles? You can do those first three things. I said to say positive things to people. 
See positive in all situations, think it just might work. Can do all these things and still have problems at home, on the job, whatever. And when problems come, some people lose that Christ-like attitude. They crash. How do you keep that going when the tough times come? I think there's a hint there in Revelation. A hint in that point four. They overcome with a why not attitude. In other words, I think of two people out in Los Angeles. Tom is a, a pilot. His wife works in merchandising. They had an idea a while ago that in downtown L.A., there's some Skid Row areas. In fact, I went to a mission trip there a while ago working the streets of Skid Row. And they said there's all these people that live in the poor parts of Los Angeles around the streets. Lots of old folks who live in apartment buildings. Let's have a great big Thanksgiving dinner for all these people, time of food, fun, fellowship. They had this idea that it just might work. But right away, doubts came flooding in. How can we afford it? How would we manage it, etc.? They decided to use this fourth point to overcome all the obstacles of the why not attitude. They went to a company and said, could you give us some money to buy the turkey and this company, the cranberries, and this one, the potatoes? And they said, oh, can't support all you causes. We give to this group here and this one here, can't support all you causes. And they simply said, well, why not? Not asking for a lot of money, just a little bit. Why not? Be good PR, why not? And they said, okay, take the money. They found a hotel in downtown L.A. And asked, can you give us the ballroom for the dinner? We don't need any food. We'll provide the food. Don't need any waiters. We'll take care of it. Just give us the space. They said, oh, don't do that kind of thing here. Not in the policy manual. Couldn't, couldn't do it. And again, they said, well, why not? We're not asking for a lot, just one day. Not over and over again. Why not? Why not? And they said, okay, fine, take the room. They got all the money, got the room, found some way of contacting and sending out through those who did have mailing addresses, those who did have emails, or going by flyer on the streets of L.A. Sent out a thousand invitations. Come Thanksgiving morning out a single RSVP. Thought they'd really failed. But they put on the dinner anyway, hoping that someone would show up. At a quarter to twelve, one lady, 85 years of age, came in with her cane hobbling slowly. They're so thrilled that she came that they hugged her right in the spot. By 12.15, over 400 folks in the ballroom. Great big time of fun, food, fellowship that never would have happened. And then I thought it just might work. And overcame all the obstacles of the one-night attitude. Right now we're in the midst of a presidential campaign. And I don't know how you feel about things like that, but oftentimes I listen to both sides, and I think they don't say things that are deeply profound. <laughs> they just say whatever will get them elected. But I think of one person years ago, right before he was killed, uh, who made a profound statement. Before he was assassinated, Robert Kennedy made this comment. Some people see things as they are and ask Why? I dream things that never were and say, why not? Tremendous difference in attitude. Some people complain about, look at the problems in this country, the deficit, immigration, racism, sexism, ageism, a lack of faith, the church is crumbling, and they say, why? And they don't do anything except complain. Others say, why can't it be different? And in their own little way, whether it's Gardening next door, helping in a food line. Say, why can't things be different? And they do make a difference. Overcome with a why not attitude. And the fifth thing I would suggest 
is activate a positive idea by doing it now. In other words, one of the quickest ways to lose your Christ-like attitude is go to church, be inspired, get a great idea. For example, three weeks ago, Rob gave us the hummingbird pledge to not complain. One way to ruin your attitude is get good ideas like that and then do nothing about them. You cannot go to church, go to a class, learn anything, not apply it, and feel good about yourself. You've got to activate good ideas by doing them now. As it says here in James, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Do it now. I find some people have a thousand things they start but never quite finish. You walk through some people's homes, almost a stress test to walk through their house. You see, this project started, not finished. This one started, not finished. This one started, not finished. Not following through, doing it now. I was doing a seminar one time. A bunch of executives. I was pushing the idea I just pushed a moment ago. If you get some good ideas here and don't do anything, you can't feel good about yourself. I said, maybe somebody back in school believed in you so much it transformed your life. Maybe it's time to take that good idea and say thanks to that person. Maybe somebody stepped in at a time in life that was a real turning point for your life. Have you ever thanked them? If you think it's appropriate to do so, do it now. They activate those good ideas. One guy in the audience said, yeah, this fits well for me, and he wrote me what happened a couple, three, four weeks later. He was a VP in a big corporation, making lots of money. If I believed today I'd be behind, I would be behind bars had it not been for one teacher in high school. I was dealing drugs in school, in a gang, lots of tough stuff. But this one teacher believed in me, changed my life around. I owe the credit for what's become to me in the last some years. And so he said, I took your idea, do it now. Went back to his high school where he graduated and said, whatever happened to Miss So-and-so? Oh, she's been retired for years, living across the country in a nursing home. He got her address, wrote her a note of how she changed his life and wanted to thank her. Said, I didn't know if she would get the note, if she'd be senile, but it was the right thing to do. But three weeks after, he wrote her the letter. She sent a note back. She wrote, I'm living in a nursing home. I'm in my 80s. I'm like the last leaf of fall dangling on the tree waiting to fall off. My mind is clear, and I thank God for that. But my body needs special care. That's why I'm in the nursing home. And then she wrote this. I, I taught in the public schools for over 50 years. And your note of appreciation is the first note of thanks I've ever received. It thrilled me as nothing had in years. That one comment, it thrilled me as nothing had in years, told him how important it was to not just get good ideas, but to act on those good ideas. I would suggest this, that we can have so much power if we adopt that Christ-like attitude. Suggested that got to be an actor, not a reactor. Got to not catch somebody else's disease. 
And one person I thought put these skills together rather well. I was at a convention one time, maybe 3,000 folks in the audience. And it's speaker after speaker gets on the stage. One guy ahead of me, Dick Jabbit, his name, been paralyzed since the birthing years, paralyzed from the neck down. Lives his life mostly in the ventilator. And because of his paralyzation and breathing difficulties, could not speak with a great booming voice. But he came to tell all these folks about attitude and the difference it can make in your life. And somewhat of a whispery voice, because it wasn't strong, he began his talk by saying to all of us, every dream I've ever had, I've been able to accomplish. And we kind of sat back and thought, how do you live your life paralyzed in a ventilator and say, I've accomplished all my dreams? Caught our attention. He said, for example, always wanted to write a book. So I got this recording device and I spoke my story into this recording device to write my book because I can't write, my arms don't work. I, I spent three, four, five hours a day, every day for a year until my book was finished. And I wanted to hear it played back to me. And the recording was totally blank. I purchased a defective recorder and never bothered to check it out. But he said, I started over. And today my book is published. Always wanted to be a speaker. I've now given over 200 speeches. They let me out once in a while. Always wanted to be president of a club, and I'm president of a club. So every dream I've ever had, I've been able to accomplish. He went on like that for 30, 40 minutes. Then he drew it to a close by saying something along these lines. Life is a banquet, but most people are starving to death because they have the wrong attitude. Go out and partake of life, and when you do, think of me. I thought about him a thousand times since then. I thought to myself, if he can accomplish all of his dreams, have none of the skills and freedoms and talents that God has given all of us. And shouldn't be much excuse not for all of us to carry forth the dreams and use the talents God gave us. It says quite clearly, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Rob has spoken for weeks about the attacks of the devil, the irrational satanic beliefs inside of our heads. They don't have to stay there. It's like a bucket of water. If it's filled with negativity and you drop in positive stones one after another, eventually the water pushes out. You just place the negative and a new Christ-like attitude takes over. Thank God we can be more like Christ through the help of our Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your truth tells us that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
You tell us to have a Christ-like attitude. And Lord, help us with that today. To be more like you in every possible way. And for this we thank you.